The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community formerly the Wellness Community and Gilda's Club Worldwide. The Wellness Community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the cancer support community, likely the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, on today's show, which is being brought to you by Millennium, uh, Morphotech, and Novartis, we are going to talk about lung cancer. Uh, November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and in this episode, we're going to shed some light on what has become the leading cause of cancer deaths in the U.S. But before we jump into today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. According to a recent report, people who have undergone surgery for pancreatic cancer and are classified as obese don't live as long as those who are not obese. A study, which was conducted by the University of Texas at Houston, looked at the outcomes of 285 patients with pancreatic cancer who were all treated at the MD Anderson Cancer Center. Obesity was classified as a body mass index, or BMI, of 30 or more. Cancer was 12 times more likely to be found to have spread to the lymph nodes in patients with BMIs of 35 or more compared to those with lower BMIs. For patients with a BMI higher than 35, average survival was 13.2 months compared with 27.4 months for those with a BMI of less than 23. The cancer recurred in 95% of patients with a BMI above 35, while those with lower BMIs had a recurrence rate of 61%. The results, researchers conclude, suggest that obesity is a host factor affecting tumor biology independent of the difficulties involved in delivering oncologic care in obese patients. In other news, a new study is raising questions about the effectiveness of prostate-specific antigen screening tests, or PSA, for prostate cancer. As many as two of every five men whose prostate cancer was caught through a PSA screening test have tumors that are too slow-growing to ever be a threat. Results point to the possibility that prostate cancer is being overdiagnosed in patients. Most men who undergo a biopsy for an abnormal PSA test turn out not to have prostate cancer. High PSAs often signal a benign and large prostate. Of those who do have cancer, there's no proof yet that early detection saves lives. As most prostate tumors grow so slowly that had they not been screened, those men would have died of something else without the anxiety. And because some treatments can cause incontinence and impotence, men whose tumors wouldn't have been a threat can suffer serious side effects for no gain. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. 
as I mentioned at the top of the show, November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Today we're going to take a closer look at a cancer that will claim the lives of more people than colon, breast, and prostate cancers combined. About 219,000 new cases of lung cancer will be diagnosed in 2009. Overall, the chance that a man will develop lung cancer in his lifetime is about 1 in 13. Uh, For a woman, the risk is about 1 in 16. These numbers include both smokers and non-smokers, so you can see the tremendous impact lung cancer has on our population. We're joined today by two wonderful guests who are here to help us shed some light on this disease. First, we are joined by Mike Stevens. Mike is a stage 4 lung cancer survivor and uh, co-chair of the Lung Cancer Alliance out in California. Uh, He's here today to share his incredible cancer story. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Morning, Kim. And we're also joined by Kay Cofrancesco. Kay is the Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. She works at LCA's headquarters in Washington, D.C., with LCA advocates across the country. Hi, Kay. Hey, Kim. So we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to start with you, Mike. Um, Mike, tell us your cancer story. Tell us about your cancer experience and and, um, really what went through your mind when you received your lung cancer diagnosis. You know, it was utter shock. I, was, I had a cough for four months, and the last thing in the world I was expecting to hear was that I had cancer. I can remember the doctor calling me 8 o'clock at night and telling it to me, and I was, I was floored. How old were you? I met my oncologist, and, or I met, met, went back with the pulmonologist and met with him the next day, yeah. and I asked him what the survival rates were. You know, I was expecting 60 70%. And he told me 15%, and it's like everything in my body just went into my stomach. Mm. Just numb, just completely just numb. numb. Just couldn't believe what I was hearing. How old were you when you... I was got... 43 years old. 43 years old. And um, so you had a cough for several months, and that prompted you to go, what, to your primary care doctor? Or? Actually, I ended up going to uh, three different doctors five different times to try to find out what was going on. and. You know, I think they were shocked, too. No one even did a chest X-ray in the four months I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Nobody was looking for lung cancer. Yeah. Now I'm a yeah. healthy, kid, you know, healthy guy going out, on my own business, yeah. you know, living a good life. And so what ultimately led them to the diagnosis? Uh, finally, my wife, uh, who was very insistent, uh, told <laughs> me to go. You know, she's not, we're not going anywhere. We're supposed to go on a trip until we find out what's wrong. And I called another friend of mine, a doctor, and he said, go see a pulmonologist. And it literally took less than a week to find out what was wrong with me. Wow, wow. And so he called you on the phone to tell you? He called me on the phone to tell me. Cause, well, you know, when you're sitting there and you're, you're that worried about what's going on, yeah. I mean, the hardest thing when you first get diagnosed is waiting for test results. Yeah. And even though they might take a day or two, it feels like it's taken a month. Yeah. It's that waiting that just kills you. So I'm kind of glad he did call me. He called you. Did you, you just wanted to know. Um, you talked about going to different doctors, uh, second opinions, going here and there. Tell us a little bit more about that, that journey, kind of where that started and then through the point where you actually got diagnosed. Well, I went to, my, you know, to the oncologist at the center where I was diagnosed, and I remember him you know, asking him questions like, well, what food should I be eating to, uh, you know, to get through this, to, to fight it? He says, well, eat whatever, whatever makes you comfortable. I said, okay, well, I'm thinking of doing acupuncture. What sh- should I do that? And he goes, well, it's not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of the office, and I said, I'm going to die. He just told me I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And I remember going home from the office, middle of the day, getting in the bed in a fetal position and crying myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I woke up from that, I got mad. And I said, okay, we're going to fight this. And I ended up going out and getting second, third, and fourth opinions. The uh, other doctors had a much better attitude mm-hmm. and ended up going back to my original doctor and he asked me how my 
how, how my little journey went talking to everybody. And I said, you know, they all had better attitudes than you. And I kind of vented on him. I just went off on him, on yeah. him being negative. And since then, him and I have become best friends. He's, he's moved out to Billings, Montana now. I've gone out and visited him. We're, we're buddies. We've been out fishing together. And it's, it's kind, of, kind of funny how the relationship developed after that. So you, you kind of opened up, opened up his eyes a little bit to how you were kind of perceiving the way he was communicating to you as a patient. Right. We, we both learned from each other. I mean, um, being an oncologist must be a, just an incredibly tough job. Yeah. You have to have a shield up. And I got through his shield, and he got through mine. And, you know, I'm kind of his star patient. Stage 4 lung cancer people don't live to be, four, you know, four and a half years. Yeah. I'm yeah. kind of uh, gone beyond the textbook. So uh, I know that I'm in many of his presentations and that he talks to a lot of patients about me. Yeah. So, you know, it's part of what I, I like to do now is to be able to go out and help other people. Just tell my story to say, hey, you can survive this disease. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. You know, Kay, um, the cancer support community, we've had the privilege of working with you at the Lung Cancer Alliance on, frankly speaking, about lung cancer, which is a free educational workshop and booklet, which I'll talk about a little bit more towards the end of the show. But uh, tell our listeners about the Lung Cancer Alliance. When did it form? How did it form? What is the mission of your organization? Well, um, Lung Cancer Alliance were based in Washington, D.C., and we actually started about 15 years ago out on the West Coast in Washington State um, and provided primarily patient support for those touched um, by the disease, be it survivors, you know, patients in treatment, their family members, you know, friends, caregivers, etc. And then about five years ago, um, our board of directors wanted to move us to Washington, D.C. so that we could split our priorities and still focus on that patient support, which, Kim, you know, is so critical for anyone touched by cancer, and then um, also focus primarily or heavily on the, um, the advocacy, the political work, you know, securing the public health funding for lung cancer research, um, since it is one of the most underfunded of all major cancers. So you're serving people all over the country, Kay? We are yeah, all over the country. We have four official volunteer chapters um, throughout the country, but we will probably have about four more coming online in 2010, which we're excited about. And then we have volunteers in about 30, 31 states um, doing awareness activities, you know, getting articles published in local papers and just spreading the word generally about lung cancer and showing the true face of the disease. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Mike, so... You, you walked us up to kind of the point of your diagnosis. Now take us a little bit further down the road. Uh, from the point you were diagnosed, what, what was happening? What was, did you have surgery? What was your treatment? What did you do to manage through that treatment? You know, what, what's gone on, you know, in, in this time since the diagnosis? Well, you know, I ha- like I was saying, I have stage 4 lung cancer, which means that it has spread beyond the primary lung. Mm-hmm. So I had it completely involved in both lungs. Um, so I wasn't a candidate for surgery. And I wasn't a candidate for radiation because surgery, they would have literally had to remove both lungs to get rid of the cancer. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah, that wouldn't work too well. <laughs> and same thing with radiation. They would have had to radiate and, you know, pretty much kill them all. So yeah. chemotherapy was my only option at the time. And back in 2005 when I was diagnosed, there really wasn't much um, choice on treatments for lung cancer. Yeah. And so I ended up going with a drug called uh, carboplatinum, Taxol, and Avastin, which the doctors told me was a gold standard went through six rounds of that, and it basically put me on my back for two out of three weeks. Mm. I was literally non-functional. I couldn't even leave the house. What were some of your symptoms and side effects from that? 
uh, extreme fatigue, slept all the time. You know, your whole GI tract gets just wrung inside out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's great though. They're you know the vomiting and the nausea. They've got that under control. So, yeah. but I literally I just I live in a two-story house, and I'd wake up in the morning, lay in bed till I couldn't move anymore, walk down the stairs, and just want to go back to sleep. And then it would take me five minutes to walk back upstairs. I was mm. so tired. Mm. And so, you know, that was my life for six months. After that, I got to, um, some new therapies were, put, were coming out, a drug called Tarceva, which is it's a simple pill you take every day. And it, it changed my life. I actually became active again mm-hmm. and actually was able to live my life until um, just fairly recently when that drug stopped working for me. Mm-hmm. And are you on any, anything now? Um, I actually am now on a, I just had surgery. I had part of my uh, right lung um, removed about two months ago, mm-hmm. and I just started a clinical trial about five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm back on chemotherapy. My hair is falling out right now, mm-hmm. and, which, is gonna be, which is kind of the fun part of it because this is so stressful in the family that the first time my hair fell out, my wife went away for the weekend, and her brother was here, and we shaved my head into a mohawk. <laughs> so this weekend we're going to be doing something else. My son's going to get to do that. It's whatever choice he wants. You got to find the humor in the in the cancer. You got to do fun things that you oh. never would do if you weren't sick. That's great. That's great. And have you over these years been able to live a a, a, a healthy life? Uh, have you been able to be active? Are you working? Are you doing things that you want to do with your family? You know what's funny is I just gave a talk the other day at the cancer center at UCSD, and I was telling people that lung cancer is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. And people look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, I bet. But, you know, after I finished those first rounds of chemo, um, I took my whole family to Africa. Mm-hmm. And we went on a, almost a three-week safari. I just, money means nothing to me anymore. You know, yeah. I'm not going to take it with me. I figured I'm going to try to live my life and spend as much money as I can right up until what my life insurance will cover for my wife when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And if I leave anything behind, I screwed up and didn't have as much fun. <laughs> so I went to Africa. Um, I cashed in my pension plan, and I bought a piece of property in the mountains and built a house on it. Wow. And just, you know, things that you never would do if you hadn't been diagnosed. But because of that, because I have, you know, I don't care anymore, I'm yeah. going to go out and have fun. Now, you have, you have kids, Mike? I do. I have two children uh, right now. They're age 16 and 19. And uh, you, you, so you're out doing these trips and activities with them. Has it been a way for you guys to come together? It has been. I mean, we've had some great family times together traveling. And, uh, you know, one day I asked my kids, I said, you know, you guys never asked me how I'm doing. And they said, Dad, you're talking to somebody about it on the phone, helping them out every single day. It's not a secret. <laughs> so this has really become part of your, the fabric of your family. Yeah, well, the, the great part was um, I bought a disability insurance policy when I was very young. So I was able to sell my business, and now I'm retired, and I can focus all my time on lung cancer and trying to help other people. Okay. And it's the most wonderful thing I've ever done. Wow. It's just an amazing, an amazing story, Mike. Uh, this is Kim Thibaldo today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We are talking about lung cancer. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We have uh, two great guests with us today, Mike Stevens, who is sharing his own personal story uh, of battling lung cancer over the past uh, four Last years, we're also joined by uh, Kay Cofrancesco. Kay is the Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. Uh, she works at uh, Lung Cancer Alliance's headquarters in Washington, D.C. We're pleased that the uh, Lung Cancer Alliance is a partner with the cancer uh, support community. So, frankly speaking about cancer, November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. 
Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. As I said uh, at the top of the show, November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. On today's show, we're talking about uh, the number one cause of cancer death and what you can do if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with the disease. I'm here today with Mike Stevens. He is a stage four lung cancer survivor out in California. He is the co-chair of the Lung Cancer Alliance in California. We also have Keiko Francesca with us today. She is the Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance Headquarters Office in Washington, D.C. And Mike was uh, sharing before the break his uh, incredibly inspirational story uh, of uh, facing lung cancer over the past four-plus years and how he's really been making the most uh, of that experience for himself, his family, and others who are facing uh, the disease. Kay, your website at the Lung Cancer Alliance contains a lot of information about treatment, uh, about uh, cl- clinical trials. Mike talked a little bit about some of the limited treatment options that were really available to him early on um, in his diagnosis. What can you tell us, Kay, about new research uh, that's being uh, uh, developed, invested in to treat uh, lung cancer? Are we making any better strides uh, in this battle against lung cancer? Well, we are. Um, I'm happy to say that we are making better strides with drugs like um, Mike mentioned, the targeted therapies that are really um, focusing on specific um, specific mutations within cancer tumor. So it just attacks the cancer itself and not necessarily the entire body, so the quality of life um, goes up. However, we're still behind the eight ball with lung cancer um, in terms of the research funding and the treatments available um, as compared with other 
cancers. So what is just so critically important is um, the clinical trial process for for lung cancer, for all cancers, and it's, you know, being a part of a clinical trial speeds up the discovery and, um, and the research. There are over 700 lung cancer-specific clinical trials just in the United States alone. Um, and so that is, that is what we emphasize when we speak with, um, with patients and advocates across the country is just to learn all of your options. And many times a clinical trial could be a, a viable treatment option and not just a last resort as, you know, some people have that misperception. So, and, and Mike is, is in, in a clinical trial and, um, you know, doing that, participating in a clinical trial can really um, save, save your life and save the lives of others as well. So, um, but we're, well, we're getting there. We're making strides. I mean, research takes a long time, but, but we're getting there for sure. Let's clear a couple things up on clinical trials, Kay, because I know there, I know, I know as, as you suggested, we're not having the rate of participation in clinical trials mm-hmm. that we would like across all cancers, truthfully, and that's really delaying advancing the research um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the cancer arena. Um, we find that a lot of folks think that when you are in a clinical trial, that every clinical trial has a placebo arm, right. that you're either going to get into the treatment arm or you're going to get a sugar pill. True, not true. Not true. Um, in actually most clinical trials, especially when dealing with lung cancer, what you get is either the best support, you know, the best available care with the experimental drug or just the best available care. So in many clinical trials, um, you will get treatment, um, especially with a late-stage diagnosis. So the placebo, you know, kind of, I'm glad you brought that up, Kim, because it is, it is so important. And you have to, you have to kind of look at the design and, and know, but um, you'll always get best care available. So in almost all cancer treatment trials, 99% of cancer treatment trials, you're going to get either the, you're either going to get the, 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 the typical care that's available to anybody with cancer, or you're going to get sort of the typical care plus the additional uh, part that's being tested. Is that right? Exactly. Um, and I mean, ethically, you know, physicians are not going to withhold treatment from someone with late-stage lung cancer. Or so. with most cancers, for that with, Right. Right, exactly. Right. exactly. Um, another, another myth, I think, hey, that people have about clinical trials um, is that you should only look for a clinical trial as a last-ditch effort. If everything else has failed, then you should look for a clinical trial. True, not true? Um, you know, we encourage, uh, you know, patients and those newly diagnosed to look at clinical trials as a viable treatment option from the outset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when you're just diagnosed, the question you should add, when you're thinking about treatment, you should add, it might, might there be a clinical trial for me? That's a question that you should ask when you're diagnosed? Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, and Mike can speak better to this than I can. I mean, the initial diagnosis, you know, you're in shock and you don't really know what to ask. But when you kind of put, all, put everything together and decide, you know, your treatment course, that is absolutely something we recommend is to talk to your doctor about available clinical trials um, in your area or just that you may qualify for as a first, you know, first line of treatment, perhaps a second line of treatment. It, they don't have to be a last resort for, for patients. No Mike, you're in, a, you're in a trial now. Have you, have you been in a trial at any other point through your cancer experience? I have not, but when I was first getting my second opinion, there was a drug, Herbitux, that was yes. four and a half years ago that mm-hmm. right now is starting to show incredible promise, 
and I could have been getting that drug four and a half years ago if I had gone into that clinical trial. So I could be way ahead of getting the benefits from it that, you know, that because it's not available to everybody else. And were you comfortable getting into a trial now? I'm very comfortable. In fact, it's really funny in um, uh, pediatric oncology, almost every single patient yep. is in a clinical trial, and they've made incredible advancements. We need to be doing that, you know, as adults too. Yeah, yeah. So, Mike, I know you're very connected to um, the Lung Cancer Alliance. How did you find out about uh, LCA, and, and how are you involved with their programs and services? You know, when I was first diagnosed, I, you know, I got on. I wanted to learn as much about lung cancer as I could. And as Kay kind of mentioned before, the the research funding for lung cancer is just pathetic. I mean, for example, breast cancer is getting over thirty-five billion dollars. I mean, I'm sorry, over two billion dollars with a B from the federal government, while lung cancer has only received thirty-five million. Yet we're the number one cancer. We're killing more people, you know, have more people dying than most of the other cancers put together. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's gross. That's just, it's just not right. And why do you think that, that is the, the case? You know, there's actually two reasons for that. The first off is the stigma behind lung cancer. Yeah. I mean, the first question everybody asks me is, did I smoke? Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks this is a self-inflicted disease. Mm-hmm. But 60% of the people out there have never, or are not, who get lung cancer are not smokers. Not currently smokers. Not currently smokers. Some are former smokers. Okay. Um, when someone asks me that question, it's a great opportunity to educate them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd never walk up to somebody with AIDS and say, so what was it? Was it unprotected sex or was it what? <laughs> IV drug <laughs> user? That would be really rude. It's actually rude right, to right. ask a lung cancer patient person that. Right. But I use it, I use it as an opportunity to uh, educate people. Yeah. The other problem was you're not going to see a walk with 20,000 people marching for lung cancer. The reason why is we don't have the survivor base yeah. that the other cancers have. Yeah. So those two things alone, there's nobody, um, there's nobody out there screaming for the research, and we're not getting it. So are you I'm out there screaming for the research, Mike? Pardon me? Are you out there screaming for the research? Uh, I'm out there screaming with everybody who will listen, even those who don't want to listen. <laughs> yeah, that screaming is putting it mildly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fun to go up to a legislator's office you know, in Sacramento working on a bill, and you give them some kind of fact, and they look at you and go, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. Why is that happening? And you look at them straight in the eyes and go, we don't know. How much money are you going to give me today to find out? Yeah. I mean, they get it. But, you know, like in, this, you know, in the current state we're going through economically, nobody has the money to give it to us. And so it's those who scream the loudest get the biggest chunk of the pie. And what I'm telling people is it's not just the survivors, those of us fighting this disease that have to scream and yell, we need to get the families involved, too, because those are the ones that are still around and the ones that are healthy enough to fight the fight. Do you think there are people who are out there who would criticize legislators for devoting more money to lung cancer because of that percept, that self-inflicted perception? Oh, I'm sure there are. I mean, I've, I myself had that, you know, that attitude that it was a self-inflicted disease before I, I learned about it. Yeah, yeah. I think, we, I, mean, I think we're all guilty of that. And that's, you know, the biggest thing we need to do to get lung cancer to change is we need to educate the public. Yeah. We need yeah. to let them realize that it's not just a self-inflicted disease. In fact, the uh, fastest-growing group of people getting lung cancer are young women in their 30s and 40s that have never smoked. Yeah. And you tell that to people, and, they, and all of a sudden they start getting scared. Shocked, when you right. scare them, all of a sudden they want, you know, people are going, well, how do I get, how do I get tested? Right, right. So let people like Dana Reeves, I mean, that was a pretty... Great example. High-profile story, right, yeah, right. Great example. Yeah. Kay, um, so great to hear about Mike's involvement with Lung Cancer Alliance and his advocacy and really getting the, the word out and educating folks. Tell us, 
if someone is facing lung cancer today or someone in, their, in your family is facing lung cancer today, tell us more specifically some of the programs and services that uh, you guys um, provide and, you know, what can you, what can you offer to folks who are really actively battling this disease? Um, I would say the first, the first thing we would recommend is just to call our, um, our toll-free information line. We have three um, wonderful, wonderful um, support staffers here who have between them, you know, over 40 years of experience um, dealing with, with situations like this, and they provide free information, um, references, um, referrals to other organizations, things like this, and kind of just talk. It's just someone to talk with and kind of talk through the diagnosis, answer questions that maybe people don't feel comfortable asking their own physician or their family members. Um, so that, that's kind of the first line. And then from there, we, it stems into an online support community. Um, I mentioned the clinical trials matching service that, that we have. Um, we have a peer-to-peer kind of mentoring program, and actually Mike is a phone buddy. Um, so he speaks with others who are diagnosed with, at a similar stage and have received similar treatments and, and helps them with kind of anecdotal advice um, through their treatments and diagnosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and are the services just for patients, or are they also for friends, family members, caregivers? They are for both, absolutely. And Anyone um, touched by the disease, whether you're a direct family member, you're a coworker, um, whether you haven't actually been touched by the disease at all and you just want to know more yeah. about lung cancer and um, how you can help someone or how you can get involved in the advocacy movement. In the movement. Mike, we've just got a, about a minute or so until we go to break, but, but how did your friends and family help you through your cancer experience? You talked a little bit about some of the activities that you've done with your kids and with your family, but uh, how, how did they provide support for you through this? You know, a funny story is my wife came up to me one day when I was really sick doing chemo and goes, we can't move. I look at her and I go, what do you mean we can't move? We're not planning on moving. Well, she was born and raised in, in Honolulu and always wanted to move back to Hawaii. Oh. And she looks at me and goes, well, we can't move back to Hawaii. And I go, well, why can't we? She goes, well, I never realized how many friends we had until recently. Mm. I got hundreds and hundreds of, of cards and letters from friends, and she took poster putty, and while I was laying in bed, she just covered every wall in my bedroom mm. with all the cards from everybody. And that gives you motivation to go, you know, there's people out there who care, and I need to fight this. So just just a wallpaper of love and and hope and inspiration? Yeah, I mean, my poor mailman, every day he was delivering, you know, six or seven cards. You know, (laughs) there was no secret what was going on in our house. Wow, wow. And, you know, your friends, you really do find out how many friends you have when you get cancer, and they they help you through it. They do whatever's needed. Yeah, wow. And they give you that support. I mean, there's days that you just don't want to go on. And one of my friends, his expression was, you know, cowboy up. He's from Texas. <laughs> and uh, he'd send me a card with, a, with something funny in it every day and would just say, cowboy up, cowboy up you're going to get through this. Fantastic, fantastic. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about lung cancer today. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. When you become pregnant, there are all kinds of questions out there, and there are almost as many answers. It seems that everyone is an expert before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and after the baby is born. Why not get information in little pieces with experts and parents that will inspire and intrigue you? Pregnancy.org Live, before, during, and after, hosted by Molly Bauer, general manager and publisher of Pregnancy.org, will bring you the expert information you need. Tune in Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm here today with Mike Stevens, a stage four lung cancer survivor and co-chair of the Lung Cancer Alliance out in California and Kay Co-Francesco, Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to go back to, Mike, something that you brought up a little bit earlier in the conversation, and that is the stigma that is attached to lung cancer. For those particularly who are just joining us, we all know that uh, uh, smokers are at a significantly higher risk of developing lung cancer than non-smokers, but we do certainly see this growing population of non-smokers getting diagnosed with, with the lung cancer. So how does this affect people living with lung cancer? How does it affect the research dollars? How does it affect uh, the advocacy movement? So, uh, Kate, for those who are just joining us, tell us some of the stigmas um, that are associated with lung cancer and why it's so important to educate people on this issue. Well, you know, the main stigma with the disease, obviously, is is tobacco and, and smoking. And there is, you know, clearly tobacco is kind of the underbelly um, for lung cancer. So, Many people, um, because of the masterful marketing of the tobacco companies, believe that smoking is is a choice and not an addiction, and and that's what it is. I mean, it has the same addictive properties as a crack cocaine addiction. So, for someone to quit smoking, it's it's a huge triumph. Um, so, the general public believes that, you know, lung cancer is only something that happens to smokers, or um, and so it, it's kind of a behavioral disease, like Mike had mentioned earlier. And so there's that kind of, well, why would we help you? You did this to yourself mm-hmm. mentality. And that, unfortunately, has also in, invaded in some ways into the medical profession. Mm-hmm. So that is our biggest challenge 
is to educate the public for um, two, two points here, that two out of three people diagnosed with lung cancer today either never smoked at all or quit decades ago. And the second piece is that it doesn't matter whether you smoked or not because lung cancer is a disease and those impacted by the disease deserve the same compassion and support, no different than any other disease diagnosis would get. Um, so th those are the two main points that we kind of focus on when we're doing awareness campaigns. It's the education piece, and then it's, you know, the compassion, the compassion piece. Yeah. You know, Mike, we've got uh, at the Cancer Support Community 50 centers around the country where we provide support and education, and we have a lot of folks who come in with lung cancer, and uh, they say, you know, this is the first place where I've come where no one has asked me if I was a smoker. This is the first place where I've come where I feel like I am a person with cancer, just like everybody else around here with cancer, and I have the same rights, rights to access treatment, rights to access support as any other person uh, with, with cancer. Um, Mike, have you experienced some of the stigma uh, that uh, the K has described, where you often asked, where, you know, are you a smoker? Where you a smoker? How how has how have you experienced this as someone with lung cancer? Well, you know, like we were saying before, it, it is the first question asked to uh, everybody with lung cancer. And what's really interesting is, you know, I get to talk to a lot of survivors, and I've met um, quite a few survivors that have had multiple cancers, and they said that when they've gone through treatment, they've been treated completely different when they had lung cancer than, let's say, when they had breast cancer. Even the medical community treats you more like you did it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just so, that's sad. It makes you want to cry. Mm -hmm. You know, I've actually been in, um, I was in a legislator's office one time trying to educate them about lung cancer, and I was with their health aide, and she looks at me straight in the eyes and goes, and, and not only when she looked at me, she had also told me that her grandfather, uncle, and one other person in her family had died of lung cancer. She looks at me and says, you mean you can get lung cancer from something other than smoking? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to throw my arms up and say I quit. I, I give up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how misinformed the public is. Yeah. And we just have to get somehow get past the this, this smoking stigma. And how do we do that? How are you doing that? Uh, telling every single person I can. You know, it's really funny. This month being Lung Cancer Awareness Month, I'm taking my Facebook page, and my status every single day is a new lung cancer fact. And I have some of my friends actually copying and pasting those into their Facebook pages, and it's just creating some incredible conversations. You know, as people wanting to you know, know more about the facts, being shocked by the facts, and then people you know, being scared by them and wanting to know what they can do to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. So we just have to use every means available to you know, educate the public. Yeah. Mike, do you do you call yourself or consider yourself to be a cancer survivor? From the day I was diagnosed. From the day you were diagnosed. So how how, how does survivorship affect how you look at today, how you look at tomorrow, how you think about the how you think about the future? I mean, you've already you've already beaten the odds um, significantly. But how how do you think today and into the future about your survivorship? You know, my my, my life's completely changed. Obviously, changed direction since I've uh, you know was diagnosed with cancer, and you know, just in how I look at life, like I was telling you before, I do things that I, I never would have done before. But, you know, the biggest change in my life is that I now have focused myself into trying to help others with, with this disease. Mm -hmm. um, I go to as many support group meetings as I can. I don't go there for myself. 
I go there to show other survivors who are newly diagnosed and who are scared to death that, hey, you can, you can get through this. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the Phone Buddy program that Kay mentioned earlier is just a wonderful program. And it's really fun. You know, funny story. I had, a, I had a phone buddy in Texas who was on the same treatment I was, and he was having incredible GI problems, which is a side effect of this drug. And you think you're the only person in the world going through this, and, and then, you know, life's over. This is, you know, how can I manage this? And, and you know, I'm, I'm here all by myself. So he starts asking me questions about it. And I, I laugh at him. I go, yeah, I have the same problem every single day. And he goes, no. And you could just hear the relief in his voice yeah. when he found out there was, it, he wasn't all alone. And then he immediately puts his wife on the phone, and now I'm explaining to a total stranger the intimate details of my GI tract, and I start laughing. Because I find it humorous that, you know, again, you've got to find the humor behind it. And she's laughing with me about what we're talking about. Yes, we have, we have some folks who've been on the show who call it potty humor. Yeah, <laughs> you're just laughing because it's so, you know, you would never, ever talk to anybody about this, let alone a complete stranger. Yeah. And here we are talking about it and enjoying ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to find the laughs where you can, right? You have to find the humor, you know, everywhere along the way. You know, when I was shaved my head, find the humor in that. You've got to look at the... I try to teach everybody you've got to look at the positive side of this. You don't have to go to work anymore. You get one of those little blue handicapped parking spaces. <laughs> you know, things you can go park anywhere you want now. <laughs> now. You know, now, Mike, I imagine your story is such an inspiration to, uh, to so many people, but do you, ever have, do you ever have a different reaction? Do you ever have somebody who, who says, well, you know, when I look at the statistics, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to live for four years, or my doctor's told me that I have less than a year to live, or, you know, your, your, your case is is not, uh, you know, not a realistic case. Do you, do you ever have that, that kind of reaction? I've had a few. Well, there's a woman in my support group right now, one of the ones I attend, that um, she's, she's fairly old, and she's decided that she's not going to seek any more treatment, that she's had a good life, mm-hmm. and um, is just going to let nature take its course. And, you know, we're all going to die of something someday. Yeah. And there's not a cancer survivor out there, anybody battling cancer, who hasn't thought about just letting it go. Yeah. You have to. I mean, they mean, chemotherapy is not fun. It is not fun in any way, shape, or form. And those thoughts are going to go through your head. But I think the hardest part about it all is to have a friend that you've cried with, helped along the way, and you see him get to that point that you know what, what's coming and you know it's coming soon. Yeah. And unfortunately, that happens all too often. And that is the hardest part for me. Yeah. You know, especially you know, seeing young women in their 40s that have never smoked. And, you know, there was one day I lost three people in one day, mm. three friends. Mm. Or, I'm sorry, in one week. And it was, I almost gave up. Yeah. And that, that's the hardest part because, yeah. you know, these people want to live so bad. Yeah, yeah. Kay, um, we've got a couple minutes until the break, but h- how important is it for, for people to get connected with other people who are going through the same experience? From from our experiences here and just seeing it when we have, you know, groups of advocates come together here in D.C., the, the relief, the inspiration, um, just the understanding that other survivors get from being in a room with maybe even it's only 10 or 15 other lung cancer survivors, but they find strength in that. Um, they find motivation, which I think is just terrific. Um, so it, it is a critical piece from our experience for lung cancer survivors to know each other, to connect, 
and, and lean on each other and use, you know, their collective strength to really increase the, you know, their survival and their quality of life. Should people expect to see more public awareness around lung cancer, more advocacy around lung cancer? Should people expect that uh, we're going to see this disease come out of the shadows a little bit, Kay? Absolutely. I mean, you think of, you think of breast cancer, um, and their movement started over 30 years ago. Yeah. Lung cancer, the movement, it's about five years old, yeah. and we are growing and, and moving throughout the country, and this has been the busiest, without a doubt, Lung Cancer Awareness Month we've, we've ever had. Um, so that in and of itself is, is an indication that, you know, Things are changing, and we're moving in the positive direction to improve uh, lung cancer outcomes. And did you bring folks to Capitol Hill this month in November, Kay? We did, actually, just this week. Um, we brought folks from 12 different states um, into D.C., gave them some advocacy training, and then sent them loose on the Hill uh, to talk with their senators and their, their congresspeople. So it was um, a wonderful experience, and I think really empowered folks, and we're making change, um, making change with public health. Fantastic. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer today. Uh, we are talking about lung cancer. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we are talking about what a, what a challenging and deadly diagnosis lung cancer can be, but also the, the hope, the inspiration, uh, the advocacy, the public awareness that is coming uh, out of this movement. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
wake up with a unique daily show. Listen for Mitchell John in the morning. Mitchell will bring you news, sports, and stock news from yesterday. You'll hear interviews from high-profile figures from the world of sports, entertainment, politics, and authors. Mitchell will talk to people throughout America. This is a show that throws right down the center. It's fun, information, and yes, even a little bit of music. Catch Mitchell John in the morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on Voice America, and Thursdays on the Voice America Business Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and today we've been talking and, uh, and uh, really taking an in-depth look at the disease with two experts. I'm here with Mike Stevens, a stage 4 lung cancer survivor and co-chair of the Lung Cancer Alliance out in California, and Keiko Francesco, who is Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. Um, Kay, tell us more. You talked about how November's National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. You had some folks on uh, up on Capitol Hill uh, this month talking to legislators, giving them some training. Um, what are some of the things that people affected by lung cancer can do today to take action, to raise awareness, to reduce the stigma that's associated with the disease? Well, and that that is such a great question, and it's something that we get all of the time, and I think a lot of advocates feel the need to, you know, do the big, huge event or um, really make that huge impact initially right away, but we have to build from that. So we always advise and recommend that people kind of start small, um, getting a proclamation from your governor declaring November Lung Cancer Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. reaching out to your local uh, community papers and just asking a reporter to write an article about lung cancer, sharing your story, um, speaking at at local events um, where you see them come up, also just distributing information about lung cancer to your physician's office, your oncologist, another another doctor's office, because we hear from so many patients, even here in in D.C. and some of the major cancer centers, that they go in and there's no information about lung cancer, um, about the disease and and where to go for help or, or things like that. So... Um, we do, you know, we recommend that people start small in their local communities and, and build on it from there. Fantastic. Uh, I'd like to add something on yeah, that, Mike, too, please. that's even at a, you know, at a lower level, is we had a bill here in California one time, and it was being held, um, heard in committee, and I was calling all the uh, committee members while I was driving down the road trying to get their vote for the, for the bill. And I had one chief of staff say, well, my boss isn't going to vote for that. And I, I asked her, well, why not? And she explained, well, lung cancer is already funded. And, you know, immediately I broke out in laughter. And I said, uh, you know, do you got a moment or two so I can give you some facts? And she gave me about five minutes, and I told her the facts about lung cancer funding that, you know, she was completely unaware of. And with that one conversation, that legislator now votes for lung cancer um, funding bills. So just one phone call. Just from one simple phone call by one person. So it... You know, something as simple as one phone call can actually make a difference. Wow. Great, great advice. Great advice. Um, We're moving in towards the end of our show, but I'd love to ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Mike. Um, If if there's one piece of advice you could give to a person who's just been diagnosed 
with lung cancer, you know, what, what would that be? How would, you, how would you advise someone who's now being diagnosed with this disease? You know, that's a really easy question, and that is get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. I've watched so many people um, have treatment plans that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but I, I rec- even as myself, I recognize it as not being right. You know, it, it's, it's an art treating cancer. You don't open up page 34 of a book, go to paragraph 6, and that tells you how to treat, treat someone. Yeah. Um, there's so many new things out there coming out of lung cancer. You want somebody who specifically treats nothing but lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And so they get it right. I've had, I've had my own doctors make mistakes that I've called them on. And it's only because I was aware of what was going on and knew where to find the answers. So you don't want one person um, determining your fate. You want to you have a team behind you. Mm-hmm. So, so really, so get a second opinion. Get a second opinion. For, you know, and go to thing. somebody who is an expert in lung cancer. Correct. Great. Kay, tell us, what advice would you give folks who are just being diagnosed uh, with this disease? Exactly the same as Mike says. Get all of the information that you can about your diagnosis and possible treatment options. And if it involves getting a second opinion, um, do just that. So I think... People need to understand their lung cancer. They need to understand what's available to them in terms of treatments and support services as well. Mm -hmm. So getting a second opinion, understanding a range of of, uh, treatment options, going to an expert. Um, Some other things, Kay, you talked about support. Uh, What advice do you give folks on in in terms of getting support? Well, it's it's knowing, you know, trying to figure out what support groups, if any, are in your communities um, and what support services are available within your hospital. There are oncology social workers. There are, you know, specific programs designed to help cancer patients through treatments and, um, you know, alternative therapies in terms of massage, therapeutic massage, and things like that that can make make their journey through it just a little bit easier. Um, I know, well, I know that um, the cancer support community. Yes. <laughs> I know we're 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 going through the it's name change, so we're all getting used to the new name. <laughs> Thanks, Kay. Um, that you that you all offer extensive programs, um, and we refer many many patients to you. And so it's it's that it's knowing that it's not just about you know the chemical treatments you're getting, but also you know the mental health and and support for you and and your family. And then also, Kay, um, just to wrap up, if folks want to get uh, involved, get active, um, aside from what they're doing in their community, getting treatment, getting support. Um, just, just for a quick second, tell folks about the work that you're doing on the advocacy front. We, um, like I mentioned before, we've got some chapters throughout the country, so it would be so great if someone was interested to, and wanted to get involved to contact us. You know, you can go through our website. But what we focus on is uh, raising awareness within the public health, public policy realm and um, securing the federal funding for lung cancer research. We have some interesting lung cancer research programs now funded through the Department of Energy and Department of Defense that, you know, we're, we're at the millions of dollars level um, right now, but we, we are working to increase it to hundreds of millions and ultimately billions um, for the disease. And so folks getting in contact with you can learn about how to do that, how to become uh, advocates, whether it's, as Mike's suggesting, making one call to one legislator, whether it's going to your state capital, coming to Washington, D.C. to become an advocate. Absolutely. And we can provide you with the information um, on specific initiatives within, within your state and your region. And what if I what what if I what if I'm a little intimidated by that process, Kay? What if I don't know who my member of Congress is? What if I don't really know what to say? I mean, they're you know they're they're congressmen, right? They're senators. Right. Who am I? What, sure. 
you know, it can be intimidating. Yeah, um, that is that is why you know we're we're here. We try and and help people and walk them through the process, and also put them in touch with folks like Mike, who are, just seem to be naturals, and um, and give pointers that way. So it is an intimidating intimidating process at times, and some people just don't really like that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So for someone who isn't interested in that, we would provide some other awareness raising options for them to get involved in. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, you have both been wonderful. Uh, really appreciate, uh, Mike, you sharing your story and all of the work that you are doing to raise awareness of this disease and, Kay, the wonderful work that is happening uh, at the Lung Cancer Alliance to get folks, uh, help them get educated and empowered, get connected uh, to to supportive communities, learn more about clinical trials and and the many options that are uh, available to them. If you would like to learn more about the Lung Cancer Alliance, uh, you can visit their website at www.lungcanceralliance.org. You can also call their lung cancer information line at 800-298-2436. Again, the website is www.lungcanceralliance.org, and the information line is 800-298-2436. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, the uh, cancer support community and the Lung Cancer Alliance, uh, along with our friends at the American Lung Association, have teamed up. Uh, we we have a wonderful program we offer called Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer. It's a booklet and a series of educational seminars that um, uh, provide information on treatment, decision-making, side effect management, and improving quality of life during and after a, a diagnosis. We have another educational book also at the cancer support community called Frankly Speaking About Small Cell Lung Cancer. Um, if you'd like information about the cancer support community's educational and support services, if you want to order a copy of Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer, uh, call us at 888-793-9355, and you can visit us at uh, cancersupportcommunity.org, www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We want to dedicate uh, this show to all people who are affected by lung cancer, those who are educating them uh, on the disease. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.